Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, as you're turning, I want to make a little bit of an amendment, a little bit of a correction from last week. Uh, As I was sharing what we were getting ready to uh, step into in chapters 4, 5, and 6, as we was leaving 1, 2, and 3, I was opening my mouth to say the word that we were moving from an indictive teaching, moving into an imperative teaching. But every time that I opened my mouth to say the word indictive, the word implicit came out. And if any of you have any idea of those definitions, they're not even close to meaning the same thing. But I did it like four or five times. I kept saying implicit, implicit, implicit. And I'm like, no, that's not right. It's indictive, which means statement of truth or making a public declaration of something, not giving any type of explanation, just making a declaration of truth. Now, the imperative truth that we started last week and starting, and we're going to start into today as well is truth applied. So it's asking, Paul is demanding, he's instructing for there to be this truth that he spent the first three chapters articulating, put into practice and into action in our Christian walk. So we're going to be reading verses 7 through 16. So let's go ahead and read this morning. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended in the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Say a quick word of prayer this morning. Father, I ask that as we have moved to our time of being in your word, that God, that you would make this word come alive in our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you, uh, you speak into our hearts, into our lives. Uh, as we hear this message this morning, allow it to convict us, allow it to comfort us, allow it to challenge us. God, do your perfect work in our lives. Father, I ask this morning for me that as I speak your word that you would help me articulate it in a correct fashion, that Holy Spirit, you would remove as much of me as possible and use my voice as your instrument to proclaim the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, quick reminder, this passage in the remainder of the book of Ephesians is written with the church first in mind. Again, personal, 
practical lessons that we can all take and points of application that hits each and every one of us all the time. But that's not the primary penmanship that Paul uses here. He goes writing first to the church as a whole. The church at Ephesus, the churches at Asia Minor that this letter most certainly circulated through, and to us as a first church family this morning. We talked about this a little bit last week, that as a body of believers, we are part of the capital C Church, which is the entirety of God's church over all of the world, but we are a congregation, a local congregation, small C church. But more importantly than that, we're more than a church. We're a family. At First Church of Christ in Grayson, we are a family. And that's the lens that Paul is writing this letter through, and which is the lens that we need to view it through first. So let's look as we kind of go through this. The first part of this uh, passage we're going to go through a little bit quickly, and then we're going to slow down just a bit at the end uh, for some really relevant, pertinent points. Uh, but in verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us. Now understand that the majority of the time when we see the word grace, especially in the New Testament and the Pauline epistles, that's talking about a grace of salvation or a salvific grace that God is imparting to us. In this instance, it's not talking about a salvation type of grace. He's talking about gifts as he's getting ready to move along. Now, in February of 2019, a couple weeks after stepping up here uh, as interim pastor, I made, we started into the book of Colossians, and I made a little bit of a comparison and contrasting that it's easy for the church, not only us, but all churches, to get into a consumer mindset and become more of a production value and worried about the aesthetics and the appeal and attractional value. And that can sometimes pull our focus away from making sure that we're grounded on the Word of God. And I likened it sometimes, it can feel like a movie theater experience that just meets on a really weird time. You know, it's like we got a really weird show time each week at 10.30 a.m if that's what we're after, because in an attractional, performance, aesthetically pleasing focused way, if we're in for that, then you all come in as consumers and not as participants, not as part of what's happening here, but you come in to see what type of production, what type of show, what kind of songs, what type of instruments, what type of people, what type of graphics we have on the screen, and you consume all of this, and there's nothing required of you. See, when it's a production and when it's more of an attractional thing, that's the mindset, that's the focus of it. But when it's family, that's totally different. You see, if we're looking at it from a movie theater analogy, then we've become a movie theater that has a weird start time. We come in here, you all enjoy the show. Hopefully everything we do up here is, is going really well. It's a high production value. You don't have somebody up here speaking, talking about implicit when it should be indicative because that's not what the right word. But then everything's over. We've enjoyed everybody's little production and their giftings and their talents. And then we all dismiss. We kind of go outside. We may hang around for our family a little bit and our friends as we see out in the lobby area. And then what do we do? We go eat. Right? It's just like a movie theater thing. And maybe have a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in it. But when you're talking about a family, when you're talking about a church, that's primary focus is only to glorify God in everything that is done, everything that is said, then it's different. 
Because you're supposed to build on the Word of God. Now, do we want to do everything with excellence, as the book of Colossians says? Absolutely we do. We want to sing with excellence. We want to play instruments with excellence. We want to speak with excellence. We want to fellowship and encourage and connect and and show mercy and kindness and love. And we want to do all of those things with excellence. But we're doing them out of a heart of excellence so God can be glorified, not so that we can be glorified. So if there was a time that if I were to ever say that there, there's a passage for my heart as your pastor as to what this church should be and needs to be, this is it. Because, you know, I've, I've got a couple things that drive me um, each and every day as your pastor. One of, the, the very first one is that my character, my integrity, my reputation is a big deal to me as your pastor because as your pastor, my character, my integrity, my things of that nature, when the community thinks about this church, typically they think about the pastor. If you think about First Baptist, the first person that typically comes to mind is Josh Schmidt. And if you think about other local congregations, so my integrity, my character is a big deal to me. And then also another one of the things that drive me is that are we a family? Or are we just people who come in here and meet once a week? But if we put our church's blueprint and our DNA in this passage, that makes that impossible, is to just be a collection of people who meet. And this is why it does that. It says, grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's talking about spiritual gifts here. Understand that the gifting, that number one, you have a spiritual gift, and number two, your spiritual gift is giving you, given to you in perfect proportion to the calling that God has placed on your life. Because we look here, we look in Romans 12 and 13, and we see where Christ is the one who gives to the measure according to his purpose in your life. Don't be jealous. Don't be envious of people who have a different gifting or maybe the same gifting that you that you think may be a little bit better at it than what you are because God has given you the exact amount of the gifting that you need to do to fulfill the purpose on your life. And then he goes into this statement. Paul says in verse 8, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. This is referring back to Psalm 68 Uh, chapter 68, specifically verse 12. And this is a psalm of David that is a victory psalm. And basically what he's saying is that in those cultures, whenever a king would return back victorious, those who were loyal to the king, who were followers of the king, he would come back and they would all benefit in their spoils of the victory. And what Paul's doing is he's talking about the spoils of victory that you and I have as sons, as daughters of God Almighty, as believers in Jesus Christ. And those spoils of victory that he has given us are spiritual gifts. Because you were brought from death to life by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are now grafted into his body, into his family, and he has given you spiritual gifts. You are now partaking in his victory. Make no mistake, it's not our victory. Amen? It's his victory. And we are benefiting from living for and serving a victorious king. And then in verse 9 and 10, He kind of goes off into a parenthetical. 
He adds a little bit of a footnote here. The ESV actually puts these in parentheses, but he goes on and he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Just quick explanation in passing. This means that Jesus is victorious over all things. Not just some things, not just a few things, but all things. There's all types of theological debates about what does it mean that he descended into the earth? Does that mean that he went into Sheol? Does that mean it was Abraham's bosom? Does that mean he went to hell? Does that mean it was the grave? What is he? He's victorious over all things. I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but I am smart enough to grasp onto the fact that I serve a victorious Savior, and so do you. And that's the important thing. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So he's given us what's known as the fivefold ministry here. You'll hear that a lot. And this is the fivefold ministry. That saying is where this comes from. And I want to submit to you that I don't believe in the fivefold ministry, I believe that there's a sixfold ministry. Because you have the apostles, you have the prophets, you have the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. That's five. And I think you see the sixth ministry in verse 12 says to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And really quickly, just to give you a little bit of explanation, not going to spend a lot of time here, but all of these are lowercase. Okay, lowercase apostles, lowercase prophets. And I actually... As Thomas and Jacob and I were sitting talking this week, I said, make no mistake about it. I was getting very emphatic, and you know, I was taking that pastoral tone. I said, make no mistake about it. There are no more capital A apostles. And then I went, there are no more capital A prophets. Having no clue that I had just said that. And I kept going on in this rant, and Thomas and Jacob were both sitting there going, I'm like, what's funny? He was, and Thomas was like, oh, I definitely agree. There's no capital, capital A prophets anymore. <laughs> Did I say that? Capital A apostles are the apostles who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus, who encountered Jesus personally. And the word apostle, this lowercase apostle, simply means a sent one, one that God sends. Capital P prophets would be the Isaiah, the Ezekiels, the Jeremiah, those in the Old Testament. There are no more capital P prophets. And if you have the gift of the prophetic, now this is the prophetic is not so much a future telling as it is a foretelling. To reveal God's truth in a right moment, in the right way, pulled from his word. That is the role of a prophet or the prophetic in this time. It's not the Nostradamus future teaching. It's a foretelling, revealing of the truth in God's Word. The evangelist is someone who is super gifted in, 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 in sharing the good news of the gospel. Have you ever run into one of those people that, man, they can just talk about Jesus in any conversation? Have you ever seen those and you're kind of sitting there going, I can't do that. You know, because I'm having a conversation and I'm just like, uh, okay, uh, Jesus. But there's some people that just do this so seamlessly. Then you have the shepherds or the pastors. And those are the ones that protect the flock. That is the body. That's the, the local church here. That's a protective thing. And then you've got the teachers 
who are the ones who have the gift of instructing and teaching and helping the, the body, the flock, and the people of God to grow. And then you have the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's you. If you're in here and you're a believer, Jesus Christ, your son, you're a daughter of the king, you are a saint, and you are to be doing ministry. Period. Really, there should be no more explanation needed than that. You should be using your gifts that God has given you to do ministry. And then this last part. Allow me to spend just a few moments here as we move from into uh, verse 13. And we see this really take another shifting into Paul talking about the church. I want you all to take just a moment and I want you to kind of look around, just, just look around at some people that are around you in the general area there. Just go ahead, it's fine. You don't have to look at them like, why are you wearing that? Just look at them. It's fine. Then he says, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, that, that word, that phrasing mature manhood means may be better suited to say fully grown, fully mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. So we need to be growing as a church, not only individually, but corporately as a family in our maturity. And there's four things really quickly that I believe that that looks like out of this passage of Scripture. The first in verse 13 that we see is growing in Christ-likeness. Because that's the measure of the fullness of the stature. That we grow into him, into our identity in him. You want to know a scary thought? That person or those people that you looked at, they play a huge role in your identity in Christ. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me, you, and Jesus. I've had countless people tell me over the 20-some years that I've pastored, that, Pastor, all I need is me and Jesus. You know what? That sounds good, but it's not biblical. Do I need Jesus? Absolutely I need Jesus. But I need you as well. Because we're all part of the body of Christ. And to grow into the fullness, into the stature of Christ-likeness, in this maturity, you and I need one another. And we need to grow together. We need to mature together. And I'm never going to be able to mature to the person that God wants me to be without you and vice versa. That's why family is important. That's why being connected to a church is important. That's why being in fellowship and connectivity with your brothers and sister in Christ is important because they are integrally important to your identity in Christ because we're all part of the same body. Amen? Okay, good. There's three that agree. That's good. Okay. Also in verse 13 and 14, another sign of maturity that we see is doctrinal stability. And now, one thing that I will say, I may not say the right words all the time that mean the right thing, but one thing that I can promise you that I do and that this staff does each and every week preparing for our messages is that we pray daily God, do not let us get outside of the bounds of Scripture. God, let us be sound in our teaching. 
Let us be biblically sound in our preaching. Let our doctrine be true. Let our doctrine be pure. And listen, I can go back to messages that I preached 10, 15 years ago, and I can go, oh, that was bad. Oh, that was, no, no, no. I do not agree with that, Ben, at all. But we pray that's our heart. And why is doctrinal stability important for maturity? Because it says that we will no longer be children. Again, this growing process that we would be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I give each and every one of you in here permission, in love now, in love, because we're going to see that here in a minute. If I am biblically wrong in what I say, in what I preach, in what I teach, I want you, I beg you, I urge you to come to me and tell me. Correct me. Keep me accountable. Because this word's declaration from this pulpit is far too important for you to worry about my feelings. Amen? I'm giving you that opportunity right now. But that's the utmost important thing. Doctrinal stability. The third thing, the third sign of maturity, is that we grow in love. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. And one of my favorite little taglines is, we are commanded to speak the truth in love, not love to speak the truth. You ever had that person? I mean, they'll just absolutely flat out offend people a lot of times. Well, I'm just speaking the truth. Truth, truth. Sometimes we can speak the truth in, and it's actually truth, but we don't do it in love, and it can cause more harm than if it wasn't truth. You see, the presentation of truth is a big deal. Our motive in presenting truth, our love behind speaking truth, is a big deal, and it matters. So listen, church family, since I, and I'll use me as an example again. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to make sure that we're living the life we should live. If you see me falling into sin, if you see me doing something I shouldn't, if you hear me saying something I shouldn't say, if you see me conducting myself in any other way that's other than becoming to the Lord, I want you to confront me with that. I want you to hold me accountable. And we need to have that mindset with our other brothers and sisters too. Instead of just being offended the moment that somebody calls us out on something. Listen, yes, we need to present it in love. But if I'm doing something wrong, I want you to tell me. And I want you to hold me accountable. And you should want your other brothers and sisters doing the same thing to you. Because eternity is far too important than to worry about hurting my precious little feelings here on earth. Do it in love. Do it in love. But one of the things about the maturity of the body is that we're growing in love. That, that helping to file off the rough edges, that helping to keep us on this right path. Again, I need you. I need you. Because I've proven over and over and over again I can't do it by myself. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll let you know. The fourth thing is that a mature body contributes. Verse 16, 
from, the, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You should be contributing to the kingdom of God. You should be contributing to the kingdom of God. Now, it's really easy for us as a church to say you need to be contributing to the church. That's true, but let's not put, put barriers on it like that. Because sometimes I think we can get so tunnel vision that we're only worried about doing stuff here at the church. The majority of the time, a good percentage of the people that are in this church at any given moment are already Christians. Now, there's some, no doubt, but the majority are already Christians. The biggest work of our ministry needs to be done outside of these walls. It needs to be done in our workplace. It needs to be done in our community. It needs to be done in the public places we go. It needs to be done within our own families and the people that we have influence with and the people that we come in contact with. That's where we need to be contributing. That's where we need to be serving, and that's where we need to be ministering. Now, the, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and, and the teachers, those are all great, and they're great titles, and they sound good, and they sound official, but those are the people that God have gifted to help equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, just because I'm a pastor, that doesn't exclude me from doing work and sharing the gospel and doing things outside of the church. But my primary calling is equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And that's what Paul is instructing them that, hey, do you want to be a great church? Do you want to be a church that brings glory to God? Then be a family. Be all part of one body. One purpose, one goal, one function, and that's to glorify God and spread his gospel to everyone that we meet. That's the calling. That's the calling. I want to ask the praise team, if they would, to come up, please, as we close down here. I want to encourage you. We've talked about spiritual gifts a couple times already here in the past couple years, and um, you know, that, that's not something I want to ju jump into great detail with, but ask yourself, what is your gifting? What has God gifted you to do? Some of us have never even asked that question. We've wondered it. We may have pondered it in our head going, okay, what's, what's, what, what am I gifted to do? Have you prayed about it? Have you taken time to seek God to show you what is my gifting? God, what is my gifting? God will reveal it to you. Now, it may not be in an audible voice. It may not be right at that moment. Sometimes the best way to discover your gifting is jumping into doing something and figuring out, hey, I'm either good at this or I'm not. Listen, I, I can tell you something. that During one of the VBS Wednesdays we had this past month, I had another reaffirming epiphany of God about my calling. As I looked down and I saw what seemed to be about 10,000 kids and Kevin, down here, said to myself, this is exactly why I'm a pastor to adults. <laughs> That's why that is not my calling whatsoever. I mean, Kevin's got like 12 kids like hanging off of him like a tree. And I'm like trying to crawl out the back wall back there like, please don't let any of them see me. 
Sometimes the best way to know our gifting is to jump in, serve, do something. 